All right, episode 29 with Michael Hicks. Michael's from Texas, uh, incredible entertainer, great singer. And uh, we had him up here at our theater, the Walters Theater, uh, a few years ago, maybe three years ago. And probably one of the best shows we've ever had in. It was uh, fantastic. He's such a great entertainer, so much fun. And uh, people were just shocked and uh, um, enjoyed everything he's done. So we uh, had a little phone call and we did the interview and had a great conversation. So once again, Michael Hicks. All right, we're rolling. We're here with Michael Hicks live from Texas. Uh, are you you're in the are you in the Dallas area? Yeah, we're uh, we live right in between Dallas and Fort Worth, so in Arlington. Yeah, you know that's where the Dallas Cowboys Stadium, Six Flags, all the all the major major I guess entertainment venue or entertainment areas right here in Arlington. So yeah, we love it. Yeah, I guess. So we met a few years ago. You came up and performed uh, here at the Walters Theater, and uh, probably one of the best shows we've ever had at the theater, and probably. <laughs> one of the best entertainers uh i've ever watched um yeah it just just amazing and and i watched your video um that we had taped from the show i just kind of keep a record of all the shows here and and i look back and um you did a a whole canadian tribute um <laughs> had to i know it was my first time I ever performed there again i had to do a canadian tribute <laughs> it was so great when you you went to uh bieber for a while and uh, I oh, watched yeah. the video and you pulled your pants, you know, sort of down to that kind of, you know, young hipster kind of, you know, doesn't sound right. You got to watch the video. That's what I'm talking about. Oh, no. I but, love it. Yeah, it was great. I laughed. Yeah, people are going to, what type of show does this guy do? I know. <laughs> pulling your pants down to adjust the beaver routine. <laughs> but it was awesome. But, uh, and that's why it was so entertaining. Yeah. And, yeah, and I did some, talk about awkward, went from, if I can remember right, we did some, oh, Michael Bublé, some Shania Twain, Justin yeah. Bieber, some Ann Murray. Celine. Yeah, and I think I've... <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, it was all Celine Dion, that's right. <laughs> I think I haven't hit my chest so hard I lost my voice for a little while yeah. doing my Celine impersonation. That was fun. Yeah, it's really great. So, uh, I've you know, obviously been following your career on, on, uh, on Instagram and Facebook and all that great stuff, and we've uh, ran into each other a few times, and, and uh, I thought you'd be a, a great guest and... And uh, I'm sure people would love to hear more about you. And I'm also super interested in as well. But yeah. uh, so let's let's go back kind of to the beginning. Um, uh, were you born in Texas? You're a Texas boy, actually. I was born well, not born in Texas. I was born in Oklahoma City. Yeah, so I was actually born in Oklahoma. But um, my parents, we moved to Texas whenever. I was, I think I was one, so pretty much, I mean, we lived in the panhandle of Texas in Amarillo, so moved to Amarillo when I was one years old, and that's, that's just, Texas is home. That, well, I guess my dad had a job that kept him in Oklahoma City, or in more Oklahoma, Yeah. and then we were, I think, moved to Kansas City for a couple of months, and then ended up settling back in Amarillo when I was one years old. And So Amarillo, born and raised, I say, I say born and raised, raised, that was home for over 22, 23 years. Oh, wow. So as far as getting into singing and into music, um, 
what was your kind of first foray into the music industry as a young young kid? Were you singing young? Oh yeah, well I kind of I grew up in a musical family. Um, as far as getting interested in music and being you know getting myself accustomed to live performance, my granddad used to play with uh, Bob Wills and the Texas Playboys. Oh really? So what did he play at the time? Yeah. He played piano. Now, he was never a full-time player, yeah. but if they'd ever come through, if they'd come through town or if they'd ever, you know, if they were doing some of their festivals, uh, my granddad would either go and sit in and play with them or they would, you know, they'd always come over to their house. My grandparents, you know, they'd always have the jam sessions is what they used to call. So we, I remember people showing up at my grand at my grandparents' house, remember to bring their instruments and my grandmother would make a lot of food and people would come over and just, They'd have a jam session in my granddad's music room. There'd probably be anywhere from you know, seven, eight, nine, ten musicians just wow. pile up there in the music room, drop off their gear, and start playing and eating food and then going on. So I was really used to that for a while. My mom sang, my aunt sang, my grandmother sang, and they just had several, you know, just a, literally a jam session. Yeah. But I was really kind of too young at the time. I enjoyed it, but I was too, wrong, too young to really really truly appreciated. I think I was oh in ninety five I was maybe thirteen, fourteen when my granddad passed away. Yeah. And so I really, you know, go back and I've got a bunch of these old VHS tapes of some of those jam sessions. Um uh, and they're very it's awesome to watch them now. Very nostalgic and you can kind of really see the talent of all the players that are in the rooms. But uh, so I was kind of grew up with that but as far as me personally singing, I guess like I'm a lot of other singers, I grew up singing in my church. I was okay. seven years old. I grew up in the uh, in the Church of Christ, which we are a cappella, you know, non-instruments or no instruments, but yeah. just congregational singing. So at the age of seven, um, I was leading singing in my church. My granddad was a was a deacon, and my uncle was an elder, and my dad was, you know, he would teach Bible study and also teach classes and my entire family was really active in our church. So I was, I was kind of made to be active in my church at a young age. So yeah. seven years old, leading singing. And that's kind of where I got my start. So kind of got the bug to, to start yeah. performing. So did you feel like it was kind of at an early age, something that you really wanted to do? I mean, I know when I was young, um, when I started playing and performing and, you know, I had kind of, I started at the age of four, uh, so really young, but I kind of had an idea really young that this is what I wanted to do. Um, was that like that for you or is it just something that you were doing? Oh, no, I, I, I got the bug. Definitely. No. And of course, in a different atmosphere in church, you know, singing, yeah. uh, but I didn't know maybe a hundred percent if I was, if I wanted to sing, I just knew I loved being in front of people. I loved, I loved and what I always called performing. I loved being in front of people. So it didn't matter if I was singing or if I was dancing or just trying to get attention uh, as a kid, being the youngest and being the only boy in my family, trying to always fight for attention from the girls. But I just, I loved being in front of an audience. So I knew that and it probably wasn't until I started doing more of it that I was like, oh yeah, this is, this is going to be my career path. Yeah. Did you, uh, were you singing in school at all? Was there any, anything yep. opportunity there? Yeah. Sang in school. Yeah. Of course, in, in where I grew up, uh, you know, all throughout middle school, elementary school, middle school, high school, 
went to a choir, but uh, it wasn't. I probably just want to say more middle school. I wanted to be, music was always a part of my life. Singing was always a part of my life, yeah. but I wanted to be an actor. Oh, yeah. I started watching, that's kind of what I wanted to do, but I was still doing, you know, music and, and choir and singing. And, uh, but I was, I wanted to be the next Jim Carrey. That was, that was kind of what I wanted to do. Yeah. So I started pursuing a lot more theater, which always kept me on stage. So that performing still allowed it to happen. And it wasn't until I got into, I think, 14, 15 years old, I was in high school, put, put together my first band. Yeah. And then I kind of started realizing, hey, you can mix a lot of your comedy and your acting and your dancing and your theater, you know, theater stuff along into your into your music, into your performance. And you just instead of just being a uh, just a musician, now you've got a show. Yeah. yeah. So what was that like when you were 14, um, putting a band together for the first time? Um, must you must have been kind of popular at school. With uh, with your own oh, band. with the ladies, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> fourteen. That's what you're trying to do. I think that's the only reason I had it. We started off. It was just me, me. I had a, and two good buddies. I sang. One of them played the drums. Another one played the guitar. And we'd just go over to his house and just you know fool around, just be silly, play Beatles tunes and play songs that you know we always liked. Yeah. And then it wasn't until I guess we found three other buddies that one played the bass, another guy sang, and then another guy played guitar. So the six of us, we just put together this band, and we played coffee shops and little restaurants. I mean, there's not, as a 14 and 15-year-old, there's really not too, too many places, especially in Amarillo, Texas, there, in the Bible Belt, yeah. of where you can uh, where you can play as a 14-year-old you know, 14 year old kid. We played school talent shows and uh little you know little places here and there or we just set up in somebody's garage and invite our friends to come over and watch us play so but no we loved it i bet that'd be fun so you finished up uh high school and where did you find yourself at that point uh, really we were i was still graduated from amarillo high in 2000 and a couple of my buddies that were in our first band some of them moved off and went to college i i knew at that point that i wanted to be a performer. I wanted to pursue entertainment in some form or fashion. Yeah. So I, I actually was offered a couple of scholarships to go off to go to school. Um, somebody actually offered me a scholarship to be an attorney and said, I say a scholarship to be an attorney, but to go to law school. Wow. And they said, if you go to law school and come back, we'll have a spot for you at our, you know, at our firm. But I just didn't want to do that. To me, that wasn't a path that I've really wanted to to pursue. So I just stayed at home, and I went to our junior college, Emerald College, stayed there for about two years. Yeah. But the rest of my guys from my band that stayed there, we just formed one of the other singers, one of my best friends we grew up together. He jumped from singing to playing drums, and so we, just, we then became a four-piece as opposed to six-piece. So we were there playing, and we were stupid enough that not only were we playing every single weekend somewhere, but we were also taking the exact same classes in school. So we never got anything done because we were the house band. This is now, okay, this is 2000. So I was 18 years old yeah. and we were the house band at a biker bar in Amarillo, <laughs> Texas. This is dead serious. You can't make this up. It was ridiculous. And I mean, I'm skinny 
by nature. Yeah. But at this time, I mean, I looked ridiculous. I was 18, looked like a bean pole. We're at a biker bar. I'm wearing leopard pants, a white tank top, a cowboy hat, and black boots. Because we, and this was thir- Thursday night. Yeah. And we were playing stuff like, you know, Leonard Skinner and George Thurgood. And um, we'd play Metallica. And at the time, I think we'd play popular stuff like Creed was popular. Nickelback was, was going on. And, but it was so funny because here <laughs> we are 18. They're putting X's on our hands every time, every Thursday when we walk in. And this bike of our bikers would come in, and you would think these would be some of the most, uh, dangerous and nasty, you know, bikers, but they loved us. They treated us like we were their, their sons and their, you know, like we were their kids. Yeah. And one of the funniest stories, <laughs> cause I'm, I'm a family person and we go to, uh, church with my entire family every Sunday. And after, after church, we'd go and eat lunch and then we'd all go back to church that evening. And then I'll go out and eat dinner. But well, one Sunday after church, me and my entire family and my grandmother, we went to a, a place to go eat lunch. And then all of a sudden I look up and here comes a whole group of uh, gang called the Banditos. And these are some bad, bad dudes. Yeah. But I recognize them because of their jackets and everything else. And there's probably about 20 of them. And they walk in and I'm sitting down next, right next to my grandmother and I see him come through, and this one guy comes up to me and picks me up. He's like, Michael, it's you, son. How are you doing, buddy? We love you. Last past week, you're incredible. You, the look on my grandmother's face was like <laughs> she was completely mortified. You would have thought, and of course, I'm high-fiving them all. You would have thought I was a member of the gang. And then my entire family just out of church just looking up at me and all these bikers. <laughs> That's fantastic. I felt like. I felt like you remember when Pee Wee Herman goes into the biker bar. That's kind of how I felt on yeah. that afternoon. So it was, but it was funny. I bet. So yeah, so that was kind of we were right out of you know out of high school and college. We so were playing. What were you taking in, trying in to go college? To I I was mostly going just at the time just general studies. I yeah. knew what I wanted to do, but I didn't. And some of the programs that they had at, at the college that I was going, they didn't really have a legitimate music program or theater program. Yeah. I was taking music and theater classes, but I never, I was not actually pursuing a degree in either one of those fields. I took some, a lot of theater classes. I took a lot of speech and drama classes. I took some, actually took opera lessons uh, just to try to expand my range yeah. uh, vocally. And so, but I was just going general studies. Yeah, it makes sense. And at the time, yeah, at the time, aside from just, uh, doing music, I was also working at a bank right out of college, or right out of high school. My mom and dad were like, "All right, well, if you're going to stay at home and, and go to school and playing, or you know, and playing the band, you got to get a job." So I was working at a bank as a teller at the t- at the same time. So 2000, 2001, we're rocking and rolling. The bikers come in when you're a teller. That would have been a good story too. Oh yeah, oh that'd have been great. Yeah, give me all your money. I'm kidding. <laughs> hey, Michael. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. Hey. No, that would have been great. Yeah, let this no, guy he, go. Uh, <laughs> yeah, he's fine. He's with me. That's great. So, so you uh, in college and you're uh, playing in biker bars and having a lot of I fun. Know. And, and uh, so you must have had to take a, uh, a step from, from there. Or was your next kind of adventure after that? Yeah, well, kind of. We Things really started as a just a band. 
you know, they kind of, we were given a lot of really cool opportunities. And to be honest with you, we weren't that good. I mean, we really weren't. I think a lot of it had to do with, uh, we knew how to, to judge a crowd and read a crowd. Yeah. And I mean, we were okay, but because of us, uh, having such a good following and a good crowd reaction, we started doing some pretty big shows. We were playing, like we opened up for Sugar Ray and we opened up, which was, you know, in the nineties, a pop group. Yeah. Uh, we opened up for <laughs> the first band we ever opened up for was Quiet Riot. Oh wow! And this was in uh, at the corn. <laughs> it just—it's funny to say at the Cornstalk Festival <laughs> in Guyman, Oklahoma. Wow! It was—I mean—and <laughs> here I am again wearing my leopard. Actually, I think I might have had my black, <laughs> which is so silly. They were probably my mom's, my mom's black leather pants and a, you know, <laughs> a tight black shirt. Man, if I, I bet I looked like just a skeleton wrapped in electrical tape. I mean, <laughs> and everything, and everything I was wearing, I probably looked ridiculous. And that's what made it so funny is that when we started playing and started doing a bunch of these, oh, these shows and opening up for these bigger groups. Because um, at first, my mom and dad, they were not. They wanted me to always pursue my dreams, but they were not happy with with me playing at a lot of the you know the bars and the clubs and some of that stuff. Yeah, and I totally agree with them. And that wasn't necessarily the place that I wanted to be, but I also understood that you know, hey, you got to play where where you can get the work. You got to play where you got to play. Yeah. And they never really saw that. But then when they started seeing, okay, he's taking this and kind of doing something with it, and they're getting you know they're getting bigger shows and they're starting to play with a lot of these acts. My dad came up to me one time and he said, because he knew what I was wearing and, you know, or I'd wear jeans and a t-shirt, whatever. And he came up to me in dead serious. He goes, son, and my dad is not a musician at all, yeah. but <laughs> he came up to me just as serious as he could be. He goes, you know, I think it's, I think it's time you started dressing a little bit more sexy. You know, when you're doing these shows, you need to, I don't know, dress sexy more like, maybe Tom Jones. And if you only knew how weird it was to have your dad who used to, who played football for San Diego state university and who's in the medical field, come up to you and put his arm around you and tell you, son, you need to start dressing more sexy like Tom Jones. <laughs> talk about, talk about funny. I still razz my dad to that every day. Every time he comes to a show, if mom and dad are at a show, I always, bring that up in concert because it makes it for a funny story. Oh yeah, for sure. Yeah. So, yeah, that... so we started playing, start doing, Go doing ahead. that type of stuff with bigger yeah. groups. Oh no, sorry. Didn't mean to cut you off. No, that's all right. Um, yeah, that's, that's, that's interesting playing for opening up for choir riot. And, um, so you were still fairly heavy. Um, or were you, were you just kind of, really diverse and you can kind of do a little bit of everything, but you're just kind of more in the heavy rock and roll. No, we, no, we were kind of diverse. I mean, we were playing everything. And of course we had, we had some of our original tunes that we were doing that we piddled around and yeah. put together and we would do whenever we were doing some of those bigger shows, we do more of our originals. But then as far as covers, you know, we were covering everything from ACDC to, you know, in sync. I mean, we were just really trying to be diverse and, base what we were playing off of the crowd. And I felt that kind of gave me an edge and has given me an edge because I learned a lot even back whenever, you know, brand new and starting out, it kind of allowed me an opportunity to read a crowd and figure out, okay, when you're putting together a show or when you're doing a show, 
know your audience and you can make it work if, you know, nine times out of ten, if you know who you're playing for and you win the crowd. That's what they always said in the movie Gladiator. You win the crowad, you win your freedom. Yeah. Well, so, it's, a, it's an important lesson in knowing that early uh, in your career. Uh, that's a g- huge lesson to learn. There's so many people that are so stuck in uh, wanting to do just what they want to do, and that's it. So you know, if you go out, you can look at the crowd and realize, well, this crowd's not really going to dig this type of music. Maybe they're going to go for this. Um, it's only a win situation for uh for you i think you can get to a certain point where you just have to say well this is who i am is what i do um but at the beginning stages especially um and actually you know i've performed with uh lots of groups and and you know you go out and and you look at the set list and you realize where you're playing and it's like why are you doing that song or why why are you starting with that one or why are you going to offend people right away or it's just not going to go well uh and it doesn't and they, you know, yep. they just, ah, oh, stupid crowd or whatever. And they blame it on them. It's like, no, no, no. It's, you you know, you didn't look at things the right way. And, um, oh, yeah. It's super, super important. Well, I agree 100% with you, you know. And if there's, and I mean, you hit it right on the head. There are there's several musicians, singers, songwriters, performers, whatever, that everybody gets stuck in that rut. Oh, well, I just want to do the stuff I want to do. And there's nothing wrong with that. But if you don't have a crowd, it, I mean, if you're, not, if you're just doing what you want to do and if you don't have a crowd and they're not buying into it, well, then you're, you're not really making any money or doing I mean, it depends. A lot of it depends on somebody's personal goals. But for me, people say, oh, that may be a cop out that, oh, you only do things for the crowd. No, I just try to be smart and book a show based, based off of my demographic, my audience, where I'm at. Because uh, I feel like it, it gives me more longevity. Yeah, well, for so, sure. Um, it keeps me keeps me working. Yeah. Yeah, and I, I think you know there's a lot of groups that you know maybe have their own style and they want to stick to it, and but there are songs within their own style that they could lay out the show better with. Even you know even when you're restricted yeah. to what you want to do, you know you you may go and look at the crowd. Maybe it's a bit of an older crowd, so you don't want to go out and nailing with the hardest stuff first or maybe ease into exactly. it a little bit. And, and there's, <clears throat> even with, you know, a limited, uh, you know, set list, you can still juggle things around and, and make it adjust for uh, for the crowd. So, um, but yeah, you can, that's early lessons um, and probably, you know, the places you were playing and the gigs you were doing, um, you know, really t- you taught some really great lessons. And, and it's funny when you're, when you're young and performing 14, 15, you don't really realize what you're learning at the time. Um, oh, yeah. You're just adapting and trying to make the crowd like what you're doing, but you're actually learning lifelong lessons at that at that time period. It's oh, yeah. with you. No, definitely. So that's kind of what, you know, what we would do whenever we'd go out and we'd play for a lot of these groups. And then as we kept, you know, as we kept going forward we were doing some of our, our original stuff which our original music at the time was very pop it was you know kind of i'll call it uh pop rock very oh matchbox 20 hootie and the blowfish very along more of that style yeah. um type music so but it was great and then we finally got to a point to where we were playing and we were playing a lot and we were traveling 
Um, we were playing around the region, doing a lot of stuff in Texas, Oklahoma, New Mexico. So it was like, man, this is great. So we ended up, I ended up, you know, dropping out of a lot of my classes at Amarillo College, and so did my buddies because we were all taking the same classes together, which was stupid. Yeah. But uh, yeah, we started playing, and then finally, it kind of got to a point, and this is, I guess, a great tie-in to what we were just talking about. The other guys in the band that they wanted to go more of a route of all original project just they wanted to move away and do an all original project and at first i kind of toyed with the idea but it wasn't i didn't really think for me personally it wasn't the direction that i wanted to go at the time so we kind of parted ways they they kept playing a little bit and i went on and started doing my own thing i ended up moving from amarillo i moved to houston because that's where my mom and dad were living at the time yeah so i went down there on a whim so that kind of closed the door on that particular chapter as far as music, but I ended up moving to Houston because I auditioned for a television show, and this was in, I want to say 2002, I auditioned for a television show. This was back when all the American Idol just came out, and oh, yeah. I think it was, I mean, aside from Star Search, yeah. but American Idol, that was the hot thing, so every local news channel or every you know local television station was having our, having their own American Idol search or whatever. So I went down to Houston and I ended up auditioning for their version, which was called Give Me the Mic. And Houston here in Texas is, I think, one of the largest city in Texas. I still think so. I think Houston's maybe three or fourth largest city in in the whole country. Yeah. So I thought, all right, let's go out in here and do this and try this. So ended up auditioning for the show. And the, the difference between this show and American Idols, there was no age limit for this particular show. So we were, I think there was over, oh, around a thousand or 2000 people that auditioned for it. Wow. And I made it in the top, made it in the top 30. Yeah. And then they did it. They had, you know, they very similar. They had their three judges, they had the host. And so you perform and I ended up making to the top five. And I think came in second. Awesome. Came in second. Yeah. And so, but with, because of doing that, uh, it allowed me an opportunity to open up for Share, wow. and I did that. That was in Houston at the Woodlands Pavilion, yeah. and this was in, I want to say, 2002. So that was a, a really cool experience. So that's whenever I was in Houston at the time. I really wasn't going to school. Uh, I was. I think I took a couple of online courses when I was in Houston. Yeah, but. I was kind of doing some soul searching. I was doing some singing, taking uh, the gentleman that was one of the judges on this show that I auditioned for. We started talking, and he was a vocal coach, a guy by the name of Tom McKinney. And he had worked with several at the time. I think he just got done working with Beyonce and her sister. Yeah. And then he had worked with several other people in the area in Houston. And so I started talking with him, and I said, I'd like to get in and start taking lessons. So I'd go see him once a week. And did that for oh, at least nine, ten months. Yeah. And really just trying to perfect my craft as far as singing-wise. And he, at the time, told me, of course, so from the television show, I would occasionally go back because my band from Emerald, they'd call me and say, hey, why don't we come back and I'll do a couple of shows. So I would go back and do some shows with them. But uh, it wasn't until Tom, at one of our vocal lessons, he said, to me, he goes, well, Michael, because I was doing still a lot of, you know, pop music. Yeah. 
funny. Came up my grand my grandpa played Western swing. I loved all type of music. Uh, my influences, my sister and my cousins, they influenced me since they were always listening to like Michael Jackson and they were listening to a lot of the pop stuff. Yeah. Uh, but then growing up, you know, I found the Beatles and Elvis and uh, oh James Brown and the Temptations, everything Motown, everything rock and roll for my parents. So I just grew up. I loved all type of music. Yeah. But Tom McKinney said, there's a venue in Arlington, Texas, known as the Johnny High Country Music Review. And he goes, have you ever heard of it? I said, I have no clue. He goes, well, I, I try to send a bunch of my students down there to go perform because it's it's a place where so many people have gotten their start, and it's just a great platform to get constant work. Yeah. So I was like, okay, I'm not really a country singer, but I'll, I'll check it out. And the venue, it, it was a... The guy that owned it was a gentleman by the name of Johnny High, and he created this show in 1974, kind of along the lines of a Grand Ole Opry, yeah. where he had he had his regulars that would perform every Saturday night. Then he'd always bring in some guests that would come on and perform on the show. And I want to say like Kelly Clarkson sang there, um, Miranda Lambert sang there. I was trying to think. Um, oh, she just won the Grammys. Uh, Good night, nurse. I cannot even think of her name right now to save my life. It'll come to me. Yeah. But anyway, several Steve Steve Holy had sang there. A couple of guys from Diamond Rio had performed there. I mean, there was kind of a list. Boxcar Willie was a regular on the show. Shoji uh, Tabuchi had been on the show for years. Yeah. Uh, and these are you know people from uh, in any walks of the country music, whether they be on Branson or out in Nashville or you know, Pigeon Forge or any of these places. They a lot of them. Johnny gave them their start. Wow. So I thought like, okay. And I think at the time they just had a competition that Steve Holy, who was, I think he was with Curb Records. Mm-hmm. He had just, he had won their first competition and a guy by the name of Scott Hoying, who is also a student of Tom's. He had just won one of their vocal competitions that they had at Johnny's as well. And if that name doesn't ring a bell, Scott Hoying is now, oh, he's one of the front, front people for uh pentatonics oh wow he's the tall blonde-headed guy so anyway so i was like okay i'll go down there and check it out so i went down to arlington auditioned for the show uh fortunately i knew enough of two country songs that i could sing and get through it yeah and i, I passed the audition and i think what what florida more is because i'm sitting here singing oh travis tritt's version of t-r-o-u-b-l-e yeah which originally for me I wasn't much of a country guy, but I knew the song because it was, I think Jerry Chestnut wrote that and Elvis did it. So I'm like, oh yeah, I like this. And Travis Tritt's version was more of a rocking tune. So I was like, all right, sweet, I'll do this one. And then the very next track on my karaoke CD was John Michael Montgomery, uh, Be My Baby Tonight. So just from practicing T-R-U-B-L-E, I knew the first person chorus of Be My Baby Tonight. Oh yeah. Fortunately, that's all that made me sing in the second one. But I got in I got in there, and for my audition, I was dancing around, moonwalking, and doing all my crazy stuff. <laughs> and I think my judges had passed me, because Johnny wasn't there at the time. They passed me because they're like, all right, Johnny's either going to love this kid, or he's going to think this kid is sniffing glue. So I think it was kind <laughs> of a it was kind of a shock to them. But that's kind of where my career went from from... I guess went to next was being on Johnny's show. So how long did you do that for? I auditioned, it would have been 2003. 
I was living in Houston. I ended up moving to Fort Worth right outside of right here in the Metroplex, Dallas, Fort Worth, Metroplex area. I moved here in 2003 because I just, I wanted to get out of Houston. I really wasn't doing anything in Houston. So I moved here. Um, I was still playing with my band in Amarillo from time to time, got a job, started performing on Johnny's in 2000. I was just as a guest 2003, but then he just, Johnny, when the first time he saw me, he gave me an open invitation and said, anytime you're in town, I want you here. So from two, around 2000, yeah, probably 2003, 2004, if I can remember, I started performing on his show every Friday and Saturday night. Wow. And so I started doing that every Friday and Saturday night from 2003 till 2013. I did that for 10 years. Holy smokes. That's a long time. Yeah, it was great. And talk about going from one thing to the other, you know, 14, 15 years old, six, you know, playing in a high or playing in a high school band, just graduating, going to be you know, playing at clubs and playing for a group of, Oh, you know, the average demographic was anywhere from 21 to 30, you know, playing biker bars and all this crazy stuff to now going to the Johnny high country music review to where the majority of Johnny's audience was that of an older crowd, because you know, you think of an Opry type crowd. So the crowd was 65 plus and it was a crowd that loved country music. So that was, I think another great lesson for me is because, all right, now I've got to totally flip my mindset and now you're going to have to find new material and new music. And you're going to have to play to a younger or to, to, I say not to a younger audience, but to an older audience. So it kind of, it, first of all, being on a, on a stage, not a club, but actually on a stage and performing every Friday and Saturday night. Plus, as I kind of progressed being on his show, Johnny, he you know, gave me the opportunity to co-MC with him and his granddaughter. And then there'd be nights he'd just say, all right, why don't you do it? You just MC it. Huh. And then there'd be times to where Johnny would let me kind of help co-produce. You know, his granddaughter and I, we would co-produce and we put together the shows and we'd start doing things. Then, all right, well, Michael, why don't you come up with another show idea? So Johnny kind of took me underneath his wing and, you know, for me, just being on his show as a, as a guest. And then I became a full-time quote, quote, regular in 2006. Um, to, I mean, he really did. He, he taught me and I learned a lot from not just from Johnny. Johnny was, was great to me in that regard, but they were people that had sang on that show uh, for years and um, several musicians. I met so many great people being a part of that show that really kind of shaped and formed, I guess, where I'm at now. Did you, uh, in the show, uh, were you, did you open up and start doing more rock and roll on the show or did you stay in the country realm? No, it was really funny because a gentleman, good buddy of mine by the name of John Rutherford, who he's a senior songwriter. <clears throat> Uh, himself and he's a country i mean country 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 and johnny high was talking with john rutherford and johnny said i like the guy but i don't know where to put him and john rutherford said don't put him anywhere he's entertaining as i'll get out just let him do his thing so i was one of the few people that johnny would allow me to just get out of the box so yeah i would i would do country music johnny would say hey well why don't you do you know, working man blues, or why don't you do, you know, he would throw out some weird suggestions and I'd say, okay, I'll do that one. But 
will you let me do, you know, this James Brown tune or will you let me do, cause I'm, I knew it was going to be an older audience. So yeah. I would, you know, I'd throw in some tunes from the 50s, 60s, 70s that I knew that, all right, this crowd's going to, they're going to like this, but Johnny Wood, he'd let me kind of go off the rails and, and do whatever. And then whenever he saw that it was getting over, you know, my, whatever songs that I was doing, he'd, he'd start letting me do uh, my own shows. I think there's a few times that he'd just let me do an entire show by myself. And I, I did a Motown show there. I did a, I think I did a, oh my, the very first, I guess, showcase show that I did for Johnny. I just did groups of songs by artists that had influenced me throughout the years. So I started off with Elvis and then went in James Brown and did some Michael Jackson and did some Frank Sinatra. I did some stuff that my grandfather wrote. Uh, but I went all over just to kind of say, this is all the music that I listened to throughout the years that have kind of shaped and molded me into what you get. And then he just kind of let me, let me do your thing, do whatever I wanted to. Yeah, it's great. Yeah. I think, I think with a country crowd, I think there's always a misconception to some degree for some people that they think that people who like country music only like country music. And, yeah. and you say, well, you can't do that. This is a country music crowd. It's like, well, yeah, but that doesn't mean they don't like anything else. And oh yeah, there's so many similarities, uh, especially when you're doing the older stuff. Um, but yeah, I I found that especially even producing shows here at our theater, and, and you, you kind of grew, grew up thinking, okay, well you can't do that because this is a country show. And it's like all of a sudden you do it, and people are like, oh yeah, that's awesome. They really love it. And they're like, okay, well, oh yeah, these you know you kind of pigeonhole uh, different styles of music, and um, you know I think there's certain style. I, mean, I think there's a lot of classical fans out there who are pretty strict and, and this is the only music uh that really is music uh there are some of those strict fans and there's probably country fans like that too where you know the only thing that they think is greatest country but majority just um i mean look at country music now it's it's really oh yeah uh turn into uh it's basically pop music um oh yeah it's it's pop rock from the 70s is what to me it sounds like yeah, it's like you, you may have some of your tradi- yeah you may have some of your traditionalists like you'll have a Brad Paisley or you'll have uh, you know Mo Pitney or you'll have some people that are you can if you listen to their to their music or their albums you may still have some traditionals but a majority of them like your Blake Shelton's and your Luke Bryan's and you know Miranda Lambert's it's rock and roll yeah yeah and some of it, it's funny because I listen to some of it now and. I listen, there's very loop, a lot of drum loops and uh, all that stuff. Yeah, oh, yeah. And I'm thinking, when I was producing some pop stuff in the late 90s and early 2000s, this was the stuff I was doing in the pop music back then. And now it's just, it's now just moved into country. And I'm thinking, well, this is not new. It's just reinvented into, or country just moved itself into that category. Um, yeah. So, yeah, it's, it's pretty interesting. So you, you obviously... You got uh, that being on that show was uh, a huge part of what made you uh, who you are now. I imagine. I mean, getting the opportunities to um, the host the whole shows and and um, you know and having a regular gig uh, like that every Friday and Saturday. That's uh, oh yeah. Well, I'm from that show also. You know, it it taught me a lot about just music itself. I play a little bit of piano by ear and that's what kind of helps me when it comes to my individual writing and doing stuff. But I learned so much about 
actual music and playing and reading charts. And uh, I, I learned a lot about working with musicians yeah. uh, for, you know, being on that show and okay, well, who's doing this and who's doing what I just learned so much. And then on, aside from that, being a part of the show, I got to do some great shows with open up and do some shows with some incredible artists. Got to work, got to open up for Mel Tillis. Yeah. I think opened up for Willie Nelson, opened up for, you know, one of George Jones' last concert. I think we had him October of, I want to say it was October of 2011. No, October. Yeah, it was either October of 2011. I think that was it. No, I'm so sorry. Ray Price was November of 2011. I got to do a show with Ray Price in 2011. Got to do a show with uh, George Jones, I believe. was It had to have been. 2011 or 12. When did he pass? Yeah, I'm thinking it's right of that. Yeah, I don't remember the exact date now. It was one of his. And then you know, got to do a show with uh, Merle Haggard. Yeah. Uh, we got to do a show with Clint Black. Uh, there were so many different uh, uh, different acts that we would book at the theater. And this was Johnny passed in 2010. So when Johnny passed away, we continued to do his show. Uh, that he passed away May of 2010, March of 2010. Yeah. And then his family stayed on through the end of that year. And then they bowed out. And then the gentleman that owned the theater, he wanted to continue to have the shows. So I became full-time producer MC. So I took over the entire show after that, putting the shows together and making sure booking the band and booking the singers, booking the performers. I was now doing it all. Yeah. Uh, and then aside from that, working with another gentleman at the time, we were bringing in other acts. Like we bring in the symphony or we bring in, you know, we bring in like your, like I just mentioned, we Sarah Evans, we bring in uh, restless heart. We bring in all these different acts, touring acts, Rick Springfield, and they'd come and play at our theater. And a lot of times I would either do an opening for them if they didn't have an opening act or depending upon their, their contract, I'd do openings for them. Yeah. Uh, or I'd come out and, you know, work with those guys and taught me doing that particular job, taught me to work with tour managers and taught me to work with writers and show me the different ins and outs of, you know, that so many different people don't see as a, just a singer or just a musician. But I really do. I felt like being involved with that theater and Johnny High taught me just so much about the music business in general. It was a, a 10 year education that yeah. you can't get any place else. You know, that's, that's one of the things that I mentioned earlier about going to college is that, yes, I thought I knew what I wanted to do. There weren't any classes. And I guarantee, you know, to this day, I still feel like there's not a class one that I could have taken for four years or a degree for four years that I could have gotten that would have given me the education that I, I got over the past 10 years for being at that theater. Yeah, I can see that for sure. So when that finished up, um, were you, were you out besides performing there on the weekends? Were you at that time still out doing your own, own shows and playing different places where you are pretty strict yeah. playing there? No, I was, I was Johnny had always, uh, whenever he was alive, he'd always wanted us to be at the theater, uh, whenever we could yeah. just cause if we were a quote, quote regular. So I would try to, I would try to stay, uh, stay pretty loyal to that particular show. However, as things started moving forward and I started building a name and a following for myself here in the Dallas Fort Worth area, 
I started getting a lot of requests and a lot of appearances, or a lot of requests for me to perform in different, uh, different theaters, different operas, different shows. So it's probably, and that started happening around 2008, nine, somewhere in there. And so I started staying busy, of course, trying to be loyal to Johnny and his show. But then as things started progressing, probably around 2011, 2012, I was getting more and more requests to be gone and to do my own shows. So I was kind of, uh, for me, working at the theater, I knew a bunch of the players. And so I'd, I'd put together my band and I'd have all my charts and I was doing a lot of shows. And then finally, it was May... 2013, um, I just, I told the owner of the theater, he said, you know, if, if, if I wanted to stay here and continue to be the president of this, of the theater and do these weekly shows, you know, I would, but it's not in my heart to be as, you know, a gentleman that runs a theater. I've got to go out and pursue and kind of chase my dreams as a performer. I feel like these are, it's a God given talent. And if I don't use it, he's going to take it away or, you know, find it, find it to be used some other way. So like, I at least got to, you know, give it a shot. So I ended up and Jenny, I married my wife in 2012. And so we finally just took the leap and said, you know, we're going to go out on our own and try to do nothing but performing, uh, see what happens. And we took a leap and, now that's all we do just full time. We've got our own, you know, our own thing going on and we travel all over and play and perform. And, you know, for crying out loud, that's how I met you was doing some of that stuff, doing some of the shows around here. And yeah, now it's, it's taken on a whole new life. Yeah. It, it's, um, when we had you here at the theater, it's, you could, you know, look back and, and listen to how you, you know, got to where you are now. It's, you can, you can see all that, uh, you know, all that time in performing at that theater probably really shaped your show now. And um, it, it being in, especially in the Dallas-Fort Worth area, uh, to, there's so many players um, and great, oh, yeah. great players. Um, I mean, there's just, just that hub alone is, can keep you busy for a very, very long time. Uh, and obviously oh, yeah. know, people, though, there's people who just don't even really leave Texas because it's, it's so big. It's uh no, that's true. Yeah. They just play Texas. No one knows them outside of Texas, but they're stars within Texas. So, um, yeah, yeah, it's, it's a, it's a neat hotbed for, for, um, for entertainers and musicians and, um, almost, almost like Nashville would be or, um, but more organic because they're actually, most of the time there are people actually born and raised in Texas and they're, they haven't moved from all over the country to, you know, pursue the dream in Nashville. That's right. It's, it's, you know, it's a homegrown type of thing. So it's, I'm, I'm sure you have plenty of long, long, uh, uh, friendships with tons of musicians, uh, in that area. And of course I've, I've run into several people, uh, you know, we've had here at the theater or I've been on tour and, and, uh, and they're from Texas. Oh yeah, do you know Michael Hicks? Oh yeah, I know Michael Hicks. <laughs> <laughs> that guy's crazy. Yeah. No, it's so funny. We uh, this when was it? It was last September. No, it was last October. Yeah, last year. Uh, the boys and I we were doing a show. Uh, I'm a part of a, a nonprofit organization known as Tribute to Valor Foundation. Uh, 
which in we work with the Medal of Honor Foundation, several other kind, Gary Sinise Foundation. We work with several different parties. Yeah. Anyways, we did our first big, uh, our big fundraiser, our big gala, our big event last year, and we were performing at it along with Lee Greenwood. And Lee Greenwood just came in. I want to say he was doing a show in New Mexico the night before. Yeah, and his band, he was, he was just coming by himself and he was going to do tracks. And so I got on the, on the phone with his, cause I'm, I put together a lot of the entertainment for this foundation. Yeah. And so I got on the phone with his music director and I just said, Hey, why don't, you know, if, if Mr. Green would, would enjoy playing with the band, I've got a, a seven piece band that, you know, and I told him all the players cause his music director lived in Nashville. Yeah. So I told him all the players that were in my band and he's like, Oh, I know this person. Oh, I know that person. You know, it's, just funny how everybody's kind of connected in some way. So he goes, yeah, I'll tell Lee that you've got a, a great band. So Lee came in and he played with, with my band on for that event. And the night before, whenever he was in New Mexico, he came back and he said, I played with a group. I, I think it was some, Oh, some horse or some, uh, a horse convention or it was some sort of rodeo type thing that they were playing at. Yeah. And he goes, the band that I worked with last night, they said they know you. And I was like, who was it? And so he started mentioning the players. And they were guys here from Dallas-Fort Worth that I'd known for years and booked and worked with. So that's funny that you said that. You're like, oh, yeah, I know Michael Hicks. So I'm yeah. thinking, hey, Lee, <laughs> Lee Greenwood knows who Michael Hicks is, but I don't know who you are, Lee. Oh, yeah, you're the guy with all those hits. That's right. That guy. <clears throat> yeah. So, that guy. So performing now, what – what type of gigs are your favorite to do now? I know you could do a, really a wide variety of, of, of everything from theaters to casinos to, um, you know, kind of cool club dates to whatever you can, convention work. Um, you kind of, uh, you, you fit into a, a lot of different places. Um, what, what's your kind of favorite venue or, or now, type of style place to play now? Yeah. Nowadays. Wow. Um, I was trying to think. 2016, we did 172 shows, wow. which was for for being just an independent person. I don't necessarily have a full time agent that I work with, um, but we did. Yeah, exactly. Kind of what you said. Everything from from clubs to corporate to private to weddings to casinos to concerts to theaters. Uh, we did a little a lot of openings for some, you know, a lot of notable acts. Yeah. But for me, my favorite type of venue to perform at is in theaters. I love I love just the theaters because to me it's it's almost it's more like a home. And I guess be, because I was on a theater type production uh, with a stage, the theater that we had here in Arlington was eleven hundred seats. Yeah. And so to me, just being in that type of a concert setting is my favorite. Yeah. And just because of the the energy and the you know people in those type of venues, if people are there, you know they've spent their hard-earned money or the money they've said they've actually they are there to see you. They want to see you. They're paying money to see you, as opposed to oh well, I'm at a club and I don't oh you know I don't I paid a, a cheap cover charge, but I'm paying a, a cover charge so I can get in and get food or drinks or. You know, because my buddies are here. Yeah. Uh, just that performance. And so I mean, we do a lot of casinos, and depending on the rooms that we're at the casinos, um, those are great. Those are fun. But a lot of times you may run into, oh, well, we want to go gamble. 
or we got to go do this. But so I, for me, the theaters are my favorite. Yeah, you know the people there to see you, and there's no other distractions. And um, you know, yeah, it, it it's a great spot for you. Um, here's a question: um, you know, for someone who doesn't have songs on the radio or a big hit, um, it's it's a different different thing for you because you have to go in and you're playing a lot of places where people come in and do have big hits. Um, oh yeah. How do you find, is that something you, you still think you would want to strive for or, um, or you kind of feel like you've found your stride and, and this is, uh, this is where you should be. Oh no, I love it. And that's a, that's a, a great question because I have been, you know, since and kind of my scene throughout this entire interview so far, has been, you know, I've I've <clears throat> been fortunate to where I've kind of been a chameleon. I've relied on my strengths as from a performance aspect and kind of bonding with a crowd and reading a crowd to where, okay, I can do country music. Okay, now I can do pop music. You want metal? I can do metal. I can do rock. I can do rap. And I kind of base, for the past several years, I've always based my performance on my crowd and, and being able to read a crowd and just go in any particular direction at the right time. And so that's been great, but it's also made it extremely difficult for me from a commercial standpoint is because now I'm, as I, my, as my career continues to grow, I've kind of started developing some different relationships out in Nashville, out in California with some different management groups and some different uh, talent agencies and some different labels that are looking that have shown interest in what I do. But the, the main question has always been, well, we think you're great. We think you're, you, you're one of the most entertaining people we have ever seen, yeah. but we don't know how to sell you because yeah. you're, you're a little bit of everything. So what are you? And I've always tried to tell, oh, I'm an entertainer. Well, that's with, that's beyond question. But unfortunately, we live in a world that you have to sell a particular product. It's very, you can't sell, I mean, <laughs> this was the best analogy that I could give. Uh, if you ever gone into a restaurant where there's like 40 different pages of, they, they serve everything from Asian food to, to American food to poutine. They're serving everything. They're going back left and right. I mean, have you ever... You you're, kind of you're to, like the it makes you a little, you're like the cheesecake factory of of artists. It's exactly. <laughs> I'm the cheesecake factory of musicians, of a singers, and yeah. so I was like, okay, I get that now. I now I truly get that. So I've had to do some soul searching myself over this past, and really it's been over this past year, is trying to figure out, Michael. You've been great to to work a lot, and that's that's why I'm also it's very scary because I have been working a lot. But I've been doing shows that have either kind of been thematic, like, okay, for example, when we came out and did your show, it was more of a uh, Texas comes to the Walters Theater. And, you know, I did throw in my Canadian medley. But we did a lot of great stuff that were based from artists out of Texas. Uh, I've got a Motown show that's extremely uh, successful right now Mm -hmm. uh, that we're doing a lot of, you know, just the hits of Motown. I've got a show uh, that's called The History of Rock and Roll, which pretty much tells how music changed from 1955 up through 1985. So I've, I've always kind of had to pick a theme, but that's only going to get me so far. Yeah. So now I'm, 
I've really, and I've always done this. I've just never incorporated it into my shows. I'm doing a lot of writing. And so songwriting, uh, lyrics, just doing everything. And I'm starting to find through my writing, I'm starting to find my niche. And a lot of my niche is coming back is with the, you know, the type of music that I grew up listening to, at least that my parents were listening to. I've just always found fondness in music from, you know, mid to late fifties all the way up through, you know, mid seventies. So in my writing style and in my original songs, um, that's kind of where I'm sticking. I'm, I'm, I'm always like to say it's kind of a Stax records meets sun records. You got, there's some of those rockabilly, uh, rockabilly, I guess, notes, rockabilly, uh, tones, the, you know, the vibe in a lot of my tunes, but it also, you know, it's got a lot of that, uh, soulful Otis Redding, uh, Sam and Dave, you know, it's got a lot of that, that stacks kind of soul to it as well. So, and plus the way that we're, you know, we've just been in the studio doing an, uh, an EP, uh, and even like the way that we're mixing it, the way that we're doing it, the way that we're putting it together, it sounds like a song or it sounds like a record, a project of stuff that came out of that era. Yeah. And so I love it. I feel like that kind of gives me a niche. So now I can incorporate my original tunes with other songs from that same type of, of genre or, you know, whether it be taking a cover tune or doing something and kind of putting my own little spin on it to where it all sounds cohesive. Now I'm kind of finding, all right, Michael, here's your niche. Here's your, here's the Michael Hicks sound. And that's been very, very difficult for me, but I've got, I've got people that are interested, hopefully, uh, hopefully it's not just blowing smoke, but people that are interested in saying, okay, if we, if we got a way that we can, that we can sell you, we'll sell you. We just need to figure out how to sell you. Yeah. So that's kind of trying to be a chameleon for so long has, has been great. But now that I'm trying to step outside of just being known as, hey, that's the guy that covers this. or that's the guy because I don't want people. I mean, there's nothing wrong with it, but I've never been, even in my own shows, I've never been an impersonator. I may do an Elvis song, but it's, and I may throw a little, you know, maybe something like that, but I'm yeah. not trying to be an Elvis impersonator. Yeah. That's just me paying tribute to uh, one of my influences. I may do a Michael Jackson song and I may do the moonwalk and do all this, but I'm not a Michael Jackson impersonator. I'm just doing a my own tribute in a, in a warped way, my tribute to these particular artists. But I've been doing that for so long. A lot of people have gotten confused. Oh, well, that's the guy that does all the impersonation. No, I'm not really in doing impersonations. I'm just, yeah, some people I'm entertaining you. just don't know how to, to say it properly, but yeah, I know what yeah. you're meaning, but yeah, it's, it's, I know we've had this conversation too, um, yeah. about, you know, where to place you, uh, because you you do so many things, it's almost as if, um, you know, it's kind of like a modern day Wayne Newton type, if you want to say that. Yeah. Um, yeah. Where it's hard to place, like you say, well, if you didn't know who Wayne Newton was, and you're gonna say, we're gonna go see Wayne Newton, well, um, well, who is he? And you're like, well, um, he's this Las Vegas guy who does all these different styles of music and plays a bunch of instruments, I guess. That was one of his things, but it was hard to, to place him. But he had built a following there in, in Vegas and they built up that name. Um, but that's hard. And and as someone who books shows and stuff, and and uh, I know the same thing with, with you. It's just, I always thought, well, it's one of the best shows I've ever seen. Same question, how do you sell it? Because uh, when people get yeah. in the seats, they're like, wow, this is... 
uh, amazing. This is great, but you have to get them in the seats first of all. Um, right. And uh, and it becomes difficult, like you said, when you you're kind of a, a master of so many different things, and it's not something you really want to probably yourself. You you know you, you do your Motown show and different things like that. Um, but I know people probably who know Michael Hicks and come out almost, they still want to see all this other stuff. Right. Um, and you probably right. in your mind to some degree would love to kind of narrow it down, but you're able to do so many other different things. It must be when you're doing a Motown show, it must be hard not to want to throw in all this other stuff because it's something you're so used to doing and, and probably really enjoy. But, um, it, you know, when you expand and, and look at different things, you really, unfortunately, I think, have to narrow things down. I think once you narrow it down and people um, come to see that, then you can come back with a whole pile of different things and, and you know, different offerings within the show. But, um, yeah, I know exactly uh, where you're coming from. And um, Oh, yeah, the, the struggle's real. The struggle yeah. is real. Yeah. <laughs> you know, so... So that's yeah. I mean, you hit it right on the head. This is this is a new chapter in my life because I'm now trying to transition from oh, Michael Hicks, the guy that does everything, as to Michael Hicks, the original artist with this particular show. And I'm not saying. I mean, to me nowadays, unless you've got a this is just my opinion, but unless you've got a, a label or if you've got a lot of money behind you. Uh, it's very difficult to break into the on a on a national international level. Very difficult to break into that particular scene. Yeah. Now, fortunately, with internet and with computer and YouTube and all this other stuff, there are other markets. There's other ways to try to do that and monetize it. But even that is still, for me, in my opinion, still kind of questionable because you see a bunch of youtube stuff and you know you know that there are people out there that they can buy views for youtube they can buy stuff for this or that and so that kind of gets a little a little questionable but trying to to sell myself as just an original artist i think is it's not impossible but it's very difficult so i still will be doing you know some of my uh like i'm saying some covers but doing them in my own style in my own vein yeah. I'm still working on putting together that show and that performance that makes me different. Like, for example, part of the stuff in my Motown show uh, that I'm doing now, I throw in one of my originals, uh, but you hear it and people are like, oh, who did that song? Because oh, it yeah. sounds like it came from that air. Yeah. And then you just finally say, no, that's that's my new tune. It's going to be out on my EP that comes out. And people are like, oh, hey, that was great. You know, and they love it. So just kind of trying to slowly work that stuff in there and see if anything, if anything hits. Yeah. It's a super great idea. And I think it's almost as if you're on a, you're in a 10 year cycle type of thing where you're, you know, you're in the, the high school band and you transition to doing the theater, uh, for 10 years. And then you were doing your Michael Hicks for kind of like 10 years. And now you seem to be, um, not on purpose, but I think everything kind of rotates in that kind of cycle where, you get to a certain extent and it's like, okay, I have to rethink this or, and redo it. And mostly because, I mean, you get more mature and you understand things more and more as you get older, but the crowd still changes, right? Um, oh yeah. You know, they're all from when you started um, to where you are now, they're all 
you know, 20, 30 years older um, than they were. Yeah. So um, I think also as, as a, you know, for me too, buying shows, I'm buying way different things than I did 10, 15 years ago, just because oh, yeah. the crowd all changes. All of a sudden you've got people who were in their twenties and thirties now, and you know, their fifties and sixties, uh, who now don't want to go to a club. Um, they don't want to go to any place super loud. They want to go see a great show at a great theater and, and have that type of experience. Um, but they're a different crowd than those same people were 20 years ago. Um, so oh, yeah, yeah. completely have to adapt all the time. If you want. Well, that's kind of, and that's where I think, Oh no, I agree with you. And that's where I think I'm kind of headed at this point is it's another, uh, another adaptation trying to be, you know, trying to, I guess, reinvent, not reinvent the wheel, but reinvent myself to where I have, if I'm going to be, because I mean, and you've seen the way that I perform, I'm all over the dancing. I mean, I'm all over the place doing stuff, which is great, but I also realize, okay, Michael, how much longer are you going to be able to hold physically, you know, and keep your sanity? How much longer are you going to be able to uh, continue to do everything at that particular level yeah. um, without, I mean, if, if I'm just continuing to go, 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 and if I'm not making the right steps to put myself in bigger, better venues or in front of bigger, better, not better, bigger audiences and trying to progress, you know, how I'm not going to be able to hold out. So I have to strategically make those decisions on what I'm doing, how I'm doing it, and if I'm going in the right, if I'm making decisions and playing at the venues that are leading me to where I initially want to go. Yeah. And also a, a great thing about you, you've been super successful without having to rely on having an agent. Um, yeah. Or a manager or any of those type of things. And I think, you know, I think that's really great. I mean, a lot of people can't do that. And I'm probably, uh, you know, once again, back to those years at the theater there and, and helping booking and, and getting all that education um, you know, prepared you for looking after all your own gigs and you've been doing that for years. But um, I think too, for someone like you, uh, being with an agent or a manager can really pigeonhole your, uh, yourself as well. You're able to make your own decisions and you kind of guide yourself to where you want to go. And I think it's a perfect a perfect way uh, for you to, to handle your situation. It works really well for you. And it had, you know, it, for the past, like I said, we left the theater in 2013. So for the past almost six years, um, it really has. It has been a blessing because I have, you know, now there are several, you know, agents or people that we'll talk with on helping us out. But being in control of where we go, where we don't go, where we what we play, what we don't play, it really has been a blessing. Um, and my wife, you know, she's an angel, bless her heart. She's She's done a majority of that work. Uh, for us, she's she's been the one that's been putting together the contracts and sending out stuff and doing stuff. It's a it's a two man show. Uh, Jenny Jenny doing that, and I'll be making the phone calls and sending out emails. And so we've been very fortunate to do that together. But on a, on the flip side, it's kind of this adaptation now. You know what we've been talking about, kind of where I feel like my career is going now. Uh, you know, I would not mind working with an agent. 
in hopes, and that's kind of what I'm trying to do with this EP project. When I say an agent or management of sorts, just because I'm trying to get into different venues uh, more instead of just being a, you know, we've done national stuff, but I'm trying to put together more national, international uh, tours, trips, performances. Um, And so unfortunately, and you know, this just, I mean, everybody knows, knows this. I'm sure everybody that listens to the podcast, it's not necessarily what you know, it's who you know. And I feel like I need to get, I need to find the right team that would be willing to take a look, sell me as a product or sell my show or whatever to kind of help along putting in those venues and in those places that I may necessarily can't get into myself with a phone call. Yeah. Yeah, So I'm always looking, always looking for that. It can be a little awkward as the the guy who's after the show calling in to to talk about yourself. Um, Oh, yeah, and I've... Yeah, how's your show? I'm telling you, I am awesome. You guys would not believe how good I am. I need to be at your place. Yeah, but if anyone who could do it, you can do it. I mean, that's that's the great thing. (laughs) (laughs) So looking down the road like 10 years from now, do you look... you looking that far ahead or where you want to be at that that stage? Oh, always. Yeah. Yeah, I'm always, I'm always looking. Um, I've kind of got an, what I'm calling my end game. Yeah. Uh, my end game, if I were to say in the next 15, you know, 15 to 20 years, I'm going to be on television. I want my own television show. That's kind of my end game. Similar, you know, whether it be a, a talk show like The Tonight Show or, you know, like uh, I know Harry Connick Jr. has a show now that he incorporates a lot of his music, but he also has guests on so my end game is television, and the reason I've always said I want my end game to be television, it's because I feel like that gives me still the opportunity to perform, to perform on a bigger scale, you know, to reach a, a wider audience, but it, it gives me the most longevity. You know, I can, I don't have to be doing this and acting crazy and traveling and performing and doing. I mean, so that's that's kind of my end game. So I, t- I look at that and I think, okay, let's work it backwards. Yeah. Where do you go from there? How do you how do you go where you are now to get there in the next fifteen to twenty years? So that's kind of what I'm trying to do is take you know take my initial steps. What I'm trying to do with my show is I'm creating, incorporating, of course, also my original stuff with cover tunes or whatever. Trying to create my own ninety minute show and start booking that in places and building that following more on not just a regional, but a national level to where I've kind of got my own following to where I can make that transition easier into television. So, because by that time people, oh yeah, that's Michael Hicks. That's the performer. That's the singer. I know now he's got a show. Yeah, that's great. That's the, uh, that's the long-term goal because, you know, I started looking at, um, I'll just use Jimmy Fallon, for example. He's got the Tonight Show, Jimmy Fallon. You know, he started out as a stand-up comedian and he was doing stand-up comedy and traveling and you know, doing the clubs and making people laugh. And then he got, he got into, you know, writing and got in, made a break and got into Saturday Night Live and started doing all this stuff. And now he's the host of The Tonight Show. So he started out, you know, doing the comedy, you know, the comedy scene. And, and that's the best way that I can, you know, the, the easiest thing I can equate it to is somebody like a Jimmy Fallon or a Jerry Seinfeld or, you know, Jim Carrey. They started out doing the clubs, doing the casinos, doing, you know, theaters, doing bigger things. And then eventually they were performing enough. They got uh, more of a well-known audience recognition and 
when the opportunity hit for them to either do something on television or make it a movie or they took the opportunity and ran with it. Yeah. And then they made something of themselves. So yeah, that's, uh, that's kind of the initial goal. That makes perfect sense. Um, a couple questions I always like to kind of finish up on. Um, obviously you've played in a lot of different places all over the place. Do you have, do you have a bucket list of, uh, a, you know, a couple places that you want to perform at? Um, I know I always have, you know, certain places out there. So I love to do, you know, a show at the Hollywood bowl or something like that. But do you have, do you have any on your list that you were, you know, you're dying to play at? I would love to, just because it's so nostalgic. I'd love to play Madison square garden. Yeah. I'd love to do in the, I, to me, that's just, that would be nostalgic. I'd like to do that. Um, other than that, beggars aren't choosers. I'll play wherever I can play. Yeah. <laughs> but that place would be, yeah, that place would be, that would be a bucket list. I'd love to do a lot of things overseas. Uh, you know, do a couple of uh, big shows overseas, maybe in, in London and Australia and look at a couple of those places. But here I know in the, in the States, uh, Definitely Madison Square Garden. And then there's a place that, oh, man, if you've never been, the Walters Dinner Theater, there's a place <laughs> right outside. That's the other one. Yeah, but you've done that one already. That's I've, off your bucket list. Yeah. I've done that one. Well, yeah, but I'm sure there's been some new foliage planted, and there's been some – I've seen the guy, that, that the groundskeeper there, and, man, talk about a job. <laughs> Yeah, you wouldn't want to be here today or the last couple of days. It's been snowing um, and it's been ice and the usual crap up here. But uh, um, it's nice in the summertime, that's for sure. Oh, yeah. Oh, it's beautiful. So if, if people want to uh, reach out and find out more about Michael Hicks and, and uh, see where you're performing and all that stuff, what's the best way to uh, reach out and get in touch with you? No, that's great. Uh, website, Michael Hicks, spelled H-I-X. MichaelHicksMusic.com. I'm on Facebook. I think it's at Michael Hicks Holla H O L L A yeah. is my Facebook tag, uh, and then on Instagram at Michael D Hicks H I X, and then I want to say Twitter is at Michael D Hicks as well. Yeah, good. I believe. And you're. And you, all my all my social media stuff is on my website as well. Oh, yeah. You can you know follow all the tags and the links and everything. Yeah, what's uh, it's been a great chat, and uh, I feel like I know you a lot better now. Um, I wish you uh, all the best success, and hopefully we get to work uh, together again real soon. And uh, oh, it'll be a pleasure. Yeah, it's like if you ever anyone out there ever have a chance to go see Michael Hicks, make sure you do. It's one of the as I mentioned, one of the the greatest shows I've ever seen and uh, super, super entertaining. And um, uh, yeah, you'd really, really enjoy it. So I really uh, thank you for spending uh, this time and hanging out and catching up. And uh, I hope we get to uh, hang out and do that again soon. Man, I appreciate it, Aaron. Honestly, thanks for thinking of me to uh, to do this podcast. This has been, it's been a treat. I hope it's continued to be successful for you, buddy. Thank you. Thank you. I appreciate it. Mm-hmm.